Yeah, I mean, most people really don't know what happens next. And so, you know, I've spent so much time, I've spent 15 years being a recycling nerd and going to recycling conferences, going on tours, watching tours on YouTube. Um, and so really figuring out why things are recyclable or not. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 51 of Be More Well. I can't believe we've done 51 of these. That's so exciting. I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and today we'll be talking about recycling with Jenny Romer. But before we dive into that, Be More Well is a wellness-focused podcast that came about as I was trying to understand and learn more about living my own personal happiest and healthiest life. I knew nothing about wellness. So I really started this podcast as kind of a selfish excuse to talk to people from all across the health and wellness spectrum. You know, doctors, athletes, musicians, anybody who's got a story to tell about how they've found mindfulness and wellness in their life. Now, ultimately, my goal here is to provide you with some information and hopefully some inspiration that will help you be happier, be healthier, less stressed, more mindful. I just really want you all to be more well. So I live in Baltimore, Maryland, which is a city that sits on a beautiful harbor. It's just this thing that we pride ourselves on. It's amazing. As a result, though, I've heard a lot about the struggles of keeping plastic bags and other single-use plastics like straws and forks, etc., from getting into the water. It's really tough. It is a hard battle. We have this beautiful piece of water right at our fingertips, but it just tends to get so dirty and filled with trash. Like many other coastal cities or cities on large bodies of water, Baltimore has passed legislation that charges an extra fee for plastic bags. There are cities all across this country that have passed similar legislation in an effort to limit pollution and to keep these plastics out of the environment. And one of the people at the forefront of that battle has been Jenny Romer. Jenny's a legal associate for the Surfrider Foundation's Plastic Pollution Initiative. She's crisscrossed this country, helping local jurisdictions make the right plans to limit pollution. Now, how she ended up on this crusade is kind of interesting. In fact, we talk more about that in the conversation you're going to hear here in just a second. It's a cool story of her just finding her passion and fighting for it. And I love stories like that. While Jenny has been working hard on plastic bag bans and fees, she's seen so many other problems with recycling. One of the biggest is that people just don't really know what goes into it. I guess you could say that I've been a recycling advocate for most of my life, and even I didn't know that only 9% of the plastic ever produced has been recycled. Only 9%. Let that sink in. And it's not surprising because it's cheaper for companies to buy new or virgin plastic than it is for them to invest in recycling and use that. But it's so much more than that. Recycling is confusing. What do all those numbers on plastic papers mean? What gets recycled and what doesn't? Jenny took this information that she's learned and put it together in a new book called Can I Recycle This? A Guide to Better Recycling. I loved this conversation with Jenny Romer. I just found it to be really eye-opening and one of the best conversations I think we've had on Be More Well. So I'm so excited for you to enjoy this as well. Before we jump into our chat, just a couple of quick housekeeping things. Please be sure to follow Be More Well on whatever platform you're using right now so you'll be notified of all the future episodes and updates that uh, come your way. Just click that subscribe button. I would also appreciate it if you could rate the show and leave a review. That kind of interaction really helps the podcast powers that be know which shows are making an impact and helps us suggest them to new listeners. It'd be amazing if you could just take a minute and rate and review for me. Also, we're on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Be More Well Podcast. Please feel free to send me a DM with any comments or questions or even guest or topic ideas. I do love hearing from you about what you'd like to learn more about as well. Jenny, how's it going? 
Good. How are you? Good, good. I, I love the stack of books behind you. Yeah, yeah. Shameless self-promotion. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I, I will say this, uh, going through your book, I kept having the same thought in my head and it's this like recurring nightmare that I have um, where I go to the grocery store and it's not till I get to the checkout counter that I'm like, damn it, the bags. <laughs> and I realize they're all sitting at the house. Yep. That's uh, that's a common fear, especially for my husband when he, he has to go shopping because <laughs> he gets in a lot of trouble if he comes home with a plastic bag. <laughs> I would imagine. I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's been a big thing for you. Plastic bag uh, bans and fees that have come around the country. You've been a big person on the forefront of that. I, I wonder, what do you think works better? Do you think a ban or a fee works better? I would say a fee uh, because really when people are at the register, we've seen that having a fee in place, even if it's just five cents, makes a huge difference as far as people really thinking about it rather than just switching from one single use item or from a plastic bag to maybe a paper bag or a slightly thicker plastic bag that qualifies as reusable. If they have, if they have to pay a fee, they get mad at themselves for not remembering. And eventually that means that they start bringing their own reusable or just not getting a bag if they're only getting an item or two. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, I support a ban fee hybrid. So ban banning certain bags, putting a fee on everything else, but really a fee being the most effective mechanism. So I've spent, you know, the last 10 years or so going to different cities and saying that over and over again. And it's starting to catch on. <laughs> yeah, I think in Baltimore, they passed a law for, I don't know if it's been fully enacted yet, but they passed some form of ban on plastic bags in Baltimore City because we've we've got a beautiful harbor. And, and you know, just like any other coastal city, I know, I know you've spent, I don't know if you live there now, but you've spent time in San Francisco and you're from California. You see a lot of these things coming into the water right there in front of you. I mean, it's not like, someone who lives in Iowa that doesn't necessarily see the impact on the beach as somebody who would that lives on the coast. Um, but, you know, I, I'm glad they are finally taking that step here because our harbor, gosh, I mean, you just see the things floating in the water sometimes when you go down there and it's just, it's awful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was in Baltimore for a recycling conference okay. uh, a couple years ago. Now yeah, the harbor is beautiful and I'm, I'm a legal associate at the Surfrider Foundation. And so Surfrider, we do a ton of beach cleanups and I work on policy kind of from the lens of ocean protection. So, um, so reducing the amount of plastic bags that we see out in the environment is a huge part of that. Uh, your resume, by the way, since you mentioned being a legal associate, makes me feel incredibly inadequate about what I've accomplished in my life. You are, you're a pretty incredible person. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. I spent quite a few years managing a record store in San Francisco right after college. I love you so. for that. You and well, I are now best friends. <laughs> so it wasn't the most straightforward path, but but I definitely feel like I found the right thing that I'm doing right now. Uh, was uh, not to get off topic totally. I will come back to your book. Don't be uh, believe me. But uh, the record store, was it a, like a local record store? Or was it more like a corporate record store? It was a local record store. So shout out to Rasputin Music in the Bay Area in San Francisco. Um, so we sold, you know, a lot of used records. Um, and yeah, it was a really fun, fun place to work. A lot of plastic. Uh, yeah. But at that time, we were shipping a lot of our low value plastic waste abroad and thinking that was a great thing. We had a whole, you know, whole program of shipping containers of, of extra plastic of all those broken CD cases and things like that to China. And now we're learning a lot more about what that actually meant. 
uh, where I was, you know, being kind of cherry picked and probably dumped in the environment. Uh, but but we were told that you know recycling is great and made us feel good about about sending all those CD cases. But now we know a little bit better. <laughs> I think it was I think it was a, a segment that John Oliver just did on last week tonight about plastics uh, a couple weeks ago now, where he talked mm-hmm. about that exact thing. How you know we ship a lot of things abroad. I believe it was him that was talking about that. Um, and, and it was fascinating to think about that, like fascinating and maddening at the same time. That you know mm-hmm. we're sending it over with these expectations that it's being recycled and we're going to get it back in the form of a, a new plastic bottle or whatever it may be. And then we find out that it's just sitting there creating massive problems, not only for the globe, but especially for people that live in those areas. Yeah. And I think that that, that John Oliver segment, and I think just more generally talking now about what happens next, um, it shows that recycling isn't just an environmental issue and especially shipping waste abroad isn't just an environmental issue, but it's a humanitarian issue as well, uh, where people are really not, they don't have a lot of the protections that we would have in the US when working with with, with sorting all this plastic and processing it um, in other countries, especially in places like China, where small family farms were turned into plastics recycling facilities. Um, and that caused a ton of problems for human health problems and environmental problems. But we're talking about it now, um, and it's great that you know that John Oliver and and other um, other shows are really bringing a lot more attention to the mainstream attention to the issue. Yeah, it was funny. I think that segment came out right around the same time that I got my hands on your book. And I was like, this is one of those things where the world is telling me I need to be learning more about this. And, and I do my best. Uh, like a lot of people, I do my best. But recycling is a complicated issue. Uh, you know, and looking through your book, you lay everything out uh, as far as what can be recycled, what can't be. And there were definitely some things in there that I was like, man, I've been putting that stuff in the recycling bin for years and never really like paper plates, for example, never had any idea that I couldn't do that. And maybe I'm ignorant to that, but I had no idea that that wasn't something that would go in the recycling bin. Yeah. I mean, most people really don't know what happens next. And so, you know, I've spent so much time, I've spent 15 years being a recycling nerd and going to recycling conferences, going on tours, watching tours on YouTube. Um, And so really figuring out why things are recyclable or not. And so things like the paper plates, there are two issues there. One is that a lot of the time they're contaminated with food. And once the, especially paper, once it's contaminated with food, it's that isn't recyclable. And then a lot of the other stuff around it can also get contaminated. But then also paper plates, tissue paper, toilet paper, they're made from short paper fibers. And when you when that goes to a recycling mill, it mostly just kind of goes through the screens. And the paper mills really need to capture the longer paper fibers. And those are in things like paper bags and cardboard boxes and some office paper. And so, yeah, so the, your paper plate isn't being recycled and maybe contaminating other things, but most people wouldn't know that. <laughs> um, so I think that this, this book is an illustrated book for adults. And so I want to make it kind of fun um, and easy to easy to really glean this information rather than just having kind of a textbook, um, being able to see why things, how things work and why things are not are recyclable or not recyclable. I want to come back to the book, but I want to backtrack for just a second. Why did this become your crusade? What was it about your life that sent you down this path? Because you really, you've dedicated so much of your life 
um, to this. And I, and I love you for it. I think it's amazing work. And I'm so glad that we have people like you in this world who do it. But I'm so curious what the catalyst was where you woke up one morning and you were like, holy crap, I need to fix this. Well, I was in San Francisco and I was a law student and I took on writing a law journal article about plastic bag laws. And so as part of that, I volunteered at San Francisco City Hall, a law just passed there, the initial ban on plastic bags. And so I became kind of the point person at the city council member's office or the board of supervisors there. Um, and places were calling from all over the world asking, you know, why did you do this? Do you have a copy of the legislation? And this was back in, you know, 2006, where the internet is not what it is now. So it was hard to find even like a copy of, of legislation. And in that process of being in City Hall, someone sent, shared with me a PowerPoint that they've gotten from the plastics industry. And that PowerPoint was a plan to defeat San Francisco's bag law. And the plastics industry was willing to spend $700,000 to defeat San Francisco's law before it was even proposed. And that, and the, part of it was that they said in the PowerPoint that that was kind of a gateway for other plastic reduction laws. And so I thought, this is a big deal. <laughs> you know, this seems like San Francisco's a crunchy city. Uh, they're adopting this, this like law that just bans one thing. But I saw it, I saw that the plastics industry saw it as a bigger thing. And at that time, there were no experts on plastic bag laws. And I saw that as an opportunity to make myself the expert on plastic bag laws. Um, and, you know, so I made a website, I printed myself some business cards, and I would go to go to hearings and press conferences and introduce myself as the expert. And then, you know, 15 years later, now I'm the expert on, on plastic bag laws, but then really going beyond that. Like I've learned so much more about how recycling generally works, how, what, what plastic, like the differences between plastic resins and uh, really made myself a, a bigger expert than that. But it all just started with me, you know, creating that website with a, with a friend um, that uh, to keep track of all the plastic bag laws. I love that. I love that you took the initiative and you're just like, all right, no one else is doing this. So I guess I am the expert right now. <laughs> yeah, and the plastics industry was so impressively organized. They had you know, lobbyists that would show up to hearings in all kinds of small towns all over the place with you know, wearing their nice suits with their talking points. And we didn't have that as yeah. environmental groups really did not have that centralized organization and the talking points. And so I really devoted so much of my time to that. And, you know, I got, I got hate mail along the way from people saying, you know, why aren't you focusing on a bigger issue, which, you know, I take as a, I take as a compliment, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so now here I am uh, having learned so much more and really wanting to be able to share it with a wider audience. I spend a lot of time still talking with state legislators, yeah. um, talking with community groups, but you know, that's kind of a bubble. So going out beyond that to a much wider audience to try to communicate with people who are thinking they're doing the right thing when they're recycling and really kind of delving deeper into what happens next. Uh, just to touch on one thing in there, it's fascinating to me, and we hear about this all the time, how much money big organizations will spend just to keep other people from, say, winning a battle or just to prove a point. Like there was one company, I forget what it was off the top of my head, but bought a Super Bowl commercial for $5 million 
to talk about a million dollar donation they were making to something like, so you spent $5 million to make yourselves feel good about this million dollar donation you made to something. Else. And you just think like you guys spend so much money trying to prove a point. Just, just do it. Like, I don't know why you need to spend all that. It's, it's, it's crazy to me how much money gets floated yeah. around. Yeah. The plastics industry created kind of a front group in California called the save the plastic bag coalition. Oh, and yeah. And they hired a fancy lawyer with a British accent to go and, and sue, sue cities for adopting plastic bag laws and saying, well, you know, it could be worse for the environment if you adopt this plastic bag oh my law. Gosh. Um, and, and that made me, you know, that motivated me even more to think, okay, there's something going on here. <laughs> there's, um, and, and they were right. The plastics industry was saying it was a gateway to other environmental, you know, to other plastic reductions. And we've seen that, you know, plastic bag laws have become commonplace. And now we're seeing, uh, seeing talk of a lot more, a lot more legislation looking at reducing single use plastics overall that goes beyond, goes beyond bags. Um, so I've been working on the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act, which is federal level legislation um, that was reintroduced last month that would includes a lot of the stuff like plastic bag laws, foam foodware bans, straws upon request policies, but it also has extended producer responsibility that shifts the responsibility from the municipality, from the cities and from the rate payers, the taxpayers for paying for the costs of recycling and waste disposal to the manufacturers of, of, of packaging. And so that should incentivize those manufacturers to make more recyclable packaging, to make more sustainable packaging, to hopefully shift to having refill and reuse instead of just all the single use stuff. Um, so a lot's happened over the last you know, 10 or 15 years of working on plastics policy. Um, and, and so we've, you know, a lot of my take home has been that so much of the plastic that we use isn't actually recyclable. Right. That's that's one of the things that I took away from that John Oliver piece in particular, and, and looking more through your book as well, is, is there's so many things that I thought were recyclable or that I thought were being recycled. And now I'm finding out that I was wrong. In fact, I wrote it down. I made a note on page 33 of your book, huge yellow page. You can't miss it. It says only 9% of the plastic ever produced has actually been recycled. And that's just, it's such a fascinating figure that only 9% over time, especially how much it's grown even over the last 10 to 20 years of how much more we're even producing right now. It's, it's wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there really isn't the incentive to to recycle, to use that that recycled content, that stuff that we've put in our recycling bins, to turn it into another product because virgin plastic is so cheap right now um, that companies are not going to spend a little extra and take and pay for the re the you know the water bottles or. Um, the material that you've put in your bin and turn it into another product. They're just going to go ahead and buy and buy virgin. Um, so that's that's one big problem is that there isn't that incentive. And so we've had there are some laws that are a um, couple of passed, a lot of them are pending that would require companies to use post-consumer recycled content in things like beverage containers or shampoo bottles to say, you know, you have to use maybe 20% post-consumer recycled content in your new in your new bottles. Um, but a lot of that stuff, a lot of the plastic, single-use plastic isn't actually recyclable. And so that kind of 
gets to part of that, that number is still incredibly low, nine, only 9% being uh, plastic being recycled. But a lot of it's because a lot of the plastic isn't really recyclable in the first place. A lot of it's made of, of plastic. There's six different main types of plastic resins and some of them really are not recyclable. Those higher numbers, like number, especially number six, um, really has, there's no market. No one wants to buy it. Mm. And so we make a lot of things like the plastic party cups is one thing that I feature in the book. People buy, you know, red, those red cups for parties and they maybe wash them out and put them in the recycling bin, but there's no buyer. There's no domestic reprocessor in the U.S. that's going to take those and turn them into a new cup. And you know that's a bit of a downer for a lot of people because they feel like they're they're doing the right thing and they're even spending the time to wash out those cups, but they're not actually going to be recycled. Um, I, I know in in America there's a few states that offer uh, like a buyback program basically for like bottles and things like that. And I know you mentioned in the book too. Uh, I think there's another there's a plan like that that's operating in other countries as well. Do you see that in those places? your this is shifting more towards glass than plastics necessarily but that you're you're getting people that are much more active in the recycling process mm -hmm. yeah and that's a really great way to get the material back so there are 10 states in the u.s that have bottle deposit laws and so you're paying a five or ten cents a deposit for those bottles and then then you're then people are redeeming them um, and those get recycled however we could have a better system where those are being refilled and reused better, better rather than recycled. Uh, it's a way, it's a good way to have a clean recycling stream of, of all these bottles, but in places like Germany, they will take those bottles, clean them, refill them, and then sell that same bottle. And that's such, that's a way more effective system, efficient system than we have here. And so there in Oregon, there's one, there's a pilot program with some breweries with uh, where they're doing refill and reuse of glass beer bottles. That's something we really need to see a whole lot more of, but that requires uh, that requires infrastructure investment. So having companies see that there's the demand for those types of systems, um, because that's a whole other system that needs to be really built out. And that's what I wanna see though. I wanna be able to go to the store, buy, buy a bottle that I know is gonna be refilled and reused rather than go through the whole process of recycling. Oh, for sure. I mean, it makes sense, especially with glass bottles. It's not like you need to smash it and start from scratch. You could just clean it and yeah. use it again. Like they're theoretically, that would make perfect sense. Yeah. 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 But glass, glass is heavy and fragile a little bit. And so having, you have to have the right system in place to have it washed and bottled, but that's not a lot to ask. That's something yeah. that seems pretty reasonable. There's a local juice bar near me that uh, does offer money back when you return their glass bottles after you buy juice. I do have a few sitting around the house because sometimes I have a hard time rationalizing spending $7 on a juice, uh, but I do still reuse these bottles on my own. So I feel at least I'm getting some extra use out of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have, and also like milk bottles. Yeah. So some places have uh, reusable milk bottles that you can return. Usually kind of a hefty, like 250 or $3 deposit, but it makes you really bring them back because, because they're a little more expensive. Oh, for sure. All right. So, so back into your book, you, you list like everything under the sun and whether it is recyclable or not recyclable. And there are some things in here that in my mind, I would never even have thought to throw it in a recycling bin. But the fact that you put it in the book makes me feel like you've seen it 
in a recycling <laughs> bin, like a garden hose, for example. To yeah. me, that's not something I would ever even think would belong in a recycling bin, but it's in the book. So you have to have seen that somewhere. Yeah, and there are a few things where I've gone on tours and talked with various uh, city recycling facility employees, and they've asked me specifically to include things. Uh, and one of them was the garden hose, because they get quite a few of them. Um, and those are huge tanglers for the recycling machinery. So they cause a lot of problems because they wrap, you know, they wrap around all the machinery sure. and um, take costs a lot of money to take out. So that's that's one big thing. Batteries are another big thing that I was asked by many recycling facilities to let people know, please don't put those in your recycling bins. Can I interrupt um, you on that one for just a second? Uh, well, I guess I shouldn't ask you because I'm doing it anyway. Uh, but like batteries and electronics and even I saw you talk about Christmas lights in there too. I do have to say I appreciate that there have been some efforts from different companies or different stores to to sort of offer like drop-offs for these mm -hmm. things. And then they, you know, will go through the process for you because, you know, as a general person, I don't necessarily know what to do with my batteries. So, you know, I might throw mm -hmm. them in the trash or whatever, but it's nice to see that there are places that are saying, Hey, bring them to us. Yeah. We got you covered. We'll make it easy for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of, a lot of, you know, electronic stores or, um, home improvement stores will have bins for you to drop off your batteries and other things. So make sure to take advantage of those programs. You know, I've been to, and I've been to quite a few recycling conferences, and one I went to that was a lot of um, of drivers of recycling trucks showed me, uh, asked me to talk about batteries, and they showed me on their cell phones showed me fires that had happened in their trucks from from batteries. So just to know that you're you're could be endangering other humans with with those batteries. So be careful. Um, some can be some can be put in the trash. The but the lithium ion ones, like the, and it depends on where you are. There are regulations uh, about whether you can put them in the trash at all. But the lithium ion ones, those are the rechargeable ones. Those are the biggest problem. Mm. So never put them in the recycling bin. Yeah, I've always been told uh, that you have to find a, a better way to dispose of batteries. Truth be told, I don't have a lot in the house that runs on batteries anymore. Most everything is plugged in mm -hmm. or it's like a cell phone that you would eventually probably turn in anyway um, yeah. or the new one. So I guess I've been lucky on that front. But yeah, I never thought about the fires. Wow. Especially mm -hmm. like, you know, in the mid midsummer pickup in, say, Arizona, you're driving around, you've got 120 degree temperatures and you've got all this. I can't even imagine. Especially if you have a truck that compacts things. Yes. So yeah, not a good scene. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you mentioned this earlier, uh, Jenny, about your book and that there's uh, all sorts of illustrations in there. It's kind of like a, you know, almost like a picture book uh, right here. Was that the initial plan when you started putting this together or did that kind of come to you later on in the process? It came a bit later on. I started writing a book thinking about just having, you know, more of a straightforward narrative book. Um, but I found myself, you know, drawing little diagrams and, you know, I, I did not illustrate the book. I have a, I found an illustrator that does a much better job than I did, but really trying to get visually get across how a lot of this works, especially when talking about how the recycling facilities themselves work. 
um, being able to explain, you know, all these different like trommel screens and different uh, what I call lasers, but are really cameras that, that sort out the plastics, different types of plastic resin, um, being able to help people visualize that. Um, and, you know, some people hear that it's an uh, illustrated book and think, oh, it's the, oh, it's for kids. But no, it's for adults <laughs> too. You know, we get into so a lot of specific details about plastic resins and lobbying and things like that. So um, it's meant for adults, but I think, you know, my my 10-year-old stepdaughter can follow along with most of it. She, she was able to follow it too. So I think that's a good sign. I, I mean, no disrespect because I love this book and I love the work you put into it. But I would imagine just a very straightforward written book about recycling may not have the same attraction as one that has all of the illustrations and colors and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And once we started working on it and thinking, oh, this is genius, <laughs> having so much easier to get through um, all this information if there are pretty pictures that go along with it. So you have dedicated a long time of your life to the efforts of recycling. And, you know, as we talked about before, plastic bag bans and fees. What how do I word this question? How do you, because I'm sure you've suffered a lot of really devastating defeats in these battles. How do you still motivate yourself to get up and go back and do it again, get back in front of those legislators, get back in front of those politicians and keep fighting your fight? Yeah, I think one particularly heartbreaking thing has been with at the, in New York City. I moved to New York almost nine years ago with one of the goals was to pass a bag law, particularly one that included a fee because I knew that was the most effective. And we ended up doing that in 2016 at the city council level. And it was it was a huge fight. It was one of the closest um, votes in New York City Council his, recent history. Um, and then a few days later, the state legislators started talking and eventually put a moratorium on all bag fees in cities uh, with populations of 1 million or more, which is only New York City. Um, that's the only one. Uh, and, and so that's just been an ongoing drama. Um, now we have a bag law in place, but it's just a ban at the state level, which is it's, which is effective, but not as effective as it would have been if they'd followed my advice. Um, and, but, um, but yeah, so there have been a lot of big defeats like that, but I am happy to you know see that like I go to the the local grocery store and I see people bringing their reusable bags and and in places a lot in a lot of places where that was not happening at all before um that makes me see that I can I am making a little bit of a difference and to a certain extent when I see the plastics industry and lobbyists at all these hearings having to do so much work to try to squash the laws that I'm working on um makes me feel makes me feel motivated to keep going well, Jenny, I appreciate you so much, your work on getting plastic bag bans out there, your work on educating people about recycling, your work with the Surfrider Foundation as well. I just appreciate all of your efforts. You're an amazing human being. Uh, where can people go to find out more about you or this book that you got? You can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, can I recycle this book is my handle on, on Twitter or sorry, on Instagram, C-I-R-T book on, on Twitter, a little shorter. Um, you can go to my website, JennyRomer.com to find out more about more book events. Um, and I would say also buy the book. <laughs> Jenny, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time and good luck with everything else. Thanks so much. 
Big thanks to Jenny Romer for taking some time to talk to us. I know she is a very busy woman, and I almost kind of felt bad taking time from her efforts to save the world. I really appreciate the fact that we have people like her out there fighting for a better future for us. So uh, thank you for that good fight, Jenny. Also, thank you to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to Be More Well. I I so appreciate your time and support. I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast. This is episode 51. Can't believe we've gone through 51 of these so far. And so much of that is the fact that I know people are listening and I know you like it. So thank you so much for continuing to do so. Please feel free to tell your friends. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and please leave a rating and review if you don't mind. Until next week, be well.